0: Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host,
1: Sian Edgerton.
0: There have been some really good ones and I just uh, had a conversation with John Chandler. So very excited to get to share that wisdom with everyone and and just super grateful for you to, to take the time. Um, So we can, we can dive in and I got your email. I got your, your links and bio and headshot and all that good stuff. So um, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. and, And that was fantastic. I'm really excited to just share it with everybody.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, okay. So why don't we start off? First of all, just welcome Laura um, to the table and thanks for being with us. And uh, I always just want to start by making sure that everybody that's listening knows who you are. And so I want to let you give your own introduction. Um, I know you well and, and dearly, and I'm just so honored to get to talk with you today. Um, but just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and where you're from and what you do.
1: Well, Sion, it's a pleasure to be with you, Uh, and thank you so much for the invitation to join you in this space. Uh, I am Laura McDaniel. I live in Central Virginia on a farm with my husband, Henry, and we enjoy a simple life of farm, which is just uh, spending time outside. Uh, We're starting beekeeping and doing some exciting things together, entrepreneurial things on our farm, Um, I am, uh, in addition to being a wife, I'm a mother of a 26-year-old young man named Patrick who lives in Vienna, Austria, and he works with Poryek Gemeinde, which is a church plant that really focuses on ministering to the Farsi-speaking people seeking asylum from Iran and Afghanistan, and so, pretty proud mom in that regard. Wow. I'm also an entrepreneur. I'm a licensed attorney for over 30 years. I am an ordained minister. I'm in a mentor and uh, just wear a lot of different hats that I absolutely enjoy and love. That's
0: awesome. So two thoughts that I have as you're introducing yourself. One, I feel like your life should be a series of like picture books, Laura and Henry on the farm. (laughs) You know, it just sounds like a children's picture book series. And so maybe that can be your next entrepreneurial venture. Um, But also I love the diversity and the varied hats that you wear, you know, from like entrepreneur to attorney to ordained minister. You know, so many of us wear a lot of hats, but they all kind of seem to run in the same vein. Whereas I feel like you've got all these different branches of of rivers and and there's so much diversity and and probably complexity in that too. But that's awesome. I just, I love it. It sounds so exciting. It's like, I don't, you know, I never know what I'm going to get next. The entrepreneur, the attorney, the minister. And it's what a, what a cool combination of gifting that God gave you.
1: Well, thank you. It's really interesting how God has used everyone to sort of build on the next and on the next. And I'm really in a space of life now where I'm using all of them in a wide variety of contexts, but they all come into play. And it's just really cool how God is really seen, to, is interweaving them and continues to, to weave them together in this beautiful tapestry. That's awesome.
0: Okay, so I have to ask, you said beekeeping is your newest venture. Uh, And so because I know that you're someone who really listens and watches and pays attention to everything that's happening around them and your entire life and experience just becomes, you know, fodder for hearing the voice of God. So I have to ask, uh, where are you seeing God at work in this new
1: beekeeping venture? In a number of ways. Uh, The first is that uh, my husband just uh, concluded a wonderful 56-year tenure of working as an engineer building highways. And we laughed as he was concluding this that it's really not retirement. Uh, retirement only in the Bible is for Levites, and if they're 50 years old, to mentor other the younger generation. So we said it's not retirement. He is stepping into a phase of entrepreneurment. Nice. And so in this space of entrepreneurment, the beekeeping is really important because number one, we need to be the best stewards we can of the world around us. That's something that's very, one of those core values that my husband and I hold near and dear to our hearts. And the bee population has uh, been significantly reduced in the past years, and it's, it's reaching almost crisis proportions. And so we really feel like this is one way in which we can be the best stewards that God's calling us to be, of uh, the, the resources and the gifting and the talents we have. My husband grew up on a farm, and so they had 19 bee boxes on their family farm and this is something he's always wanted to get back to so the first is just being good stewards of what we have and the second is it's just fun to watch bees and and they're fascinating creatures i mean god has just done some amazingly creative things with bees and and how they work together the community and the communal aspect their oikos in a bee box right It's Mm -hmm. so amazing and then they produce this beautiful product of honey that is so healthy and there again our body's a temple and we want to help others be as healthy as possible and so we're exploring ways in which we can really take this product and really use it to benefit people on some on some different ways so this is all just such a fun space of exploration for us but we just we're having a great time with it being creative and innovative
0: that's awesome! I love it. I love how even in that space of the beekeeping, that it's just all of your your gifts and passions at work, and, and you use the word oikos. You talked about you know the bees and the same way we're you know built for community building an oikos. Um, for those that don't know, talk to us about what does that actually mean?
1: Oikos. It's a Greek word uh, used that it just it really is family. It's community and family, not necessarily limited to biological family. Because how many of us, um, unfortunately, may not have the best of relationship with our biological family, but yet we have developed this family uh, around us, these close friends, this this closely knit community that we can rely on, that they have our back, that we can go to 24-7. And we see this, you know, initially modeled in the New Testament, but yet this really is so important, I think, especially today where people are tending to feel isolated. Mm And I I think social media sometimes provides a false sense of community, but in this day and time, we really do need to look for our oikos, our people, our group that will really um, just be there for us, that we can be very real, raw, vulnerable, that we can learn from and we can teach. That's
0: awesome. So then this, that leads me into my first real question. Um, not that those weren't real, but, uh, I ask everybody this because everyone knows my two great passions are leadership and food. Uh, and so I ask everyone because that idea of Oikos and family and, and gathering together, you know, around the table, being with your people is so, for me, not only critical to and ens- central to the gospel, but also just to leadership and to our daily lives. And so I ask everyone, if we were gathering a bunch of leaders around a table, not virtually like we are now, but actually live and in person around a table to just, you know, share and to pour in and to invest and to develop and disciple them,
1: what would you be feeding us? Ooh, that's a great question because I grew up in a family where food is love. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother taught me how to cook and all of these Southern recipes and all these wonderful things. But I think just uh, as recently as I've been uh, exploring new recipes and just exploring some creative options in uh, in cooking, I have really become a huge fan of the Instapot. Yes, it's a thing. And so I love several times a week cook with the Instapot. And something that I will be cooking for my husband uh, this weekend will be chicken salsa verde in the Instapot. Such a super simple recipe, but it is just such great because of course, you know what chicken salsa verde means, tacos. Yep. know that tacos are near and dear to your heart and mine. And I just think that they're like part of the bread of life. And so, um, so that is something that I will be cooking this weekend, kind of kicked up chicken salsa verde tacos.
0: Yum, that sounds amazing. And of course, you said tacos, so you're speaking my love language. Um on our we just celebrated our Oh my gosh, 12th wedding anniversary I think last month. And so um and you know and, and Mike knows I'm not a big gifts are not my love language. I'm not a big, you know, gift person. Um but he wanted to get something. And so he ended up getting me and this this just shows you how well my husband knows me. So for our anniversary he got me a t-shirt and it just says, um feed me tacos and tell me I'm pretty. And I said, "Oh my goodness, Mike, you could not have picked out a better gift for me. Like, you know me, you really know me. So yes, our, our affinity for tacos is one of the many things that we share and, and it keeps you near and dear to my heart, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> so, okay. Now that we know what you would be feeding us food wise, um, if we were gathering a bunch of people, what is it that you feel like you bring to the leadership table in this season?
1: Part of it is my journey because I became a Christian in my mid-30s, so I didn't grow up in the church. Actually, I wanted nothing to do with God for most of my life growing up, and uh, and it was really at 35 that I had uh, Damascus Road experience on Interstate 85 outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, but with that, um, I had been a practicing attorney for about a decade at that point, And so as I started learning about Jesus and learning this word disciple and what it means to be a disciple, which is basically a learner, right? And and just learning who Jesus is. And I mean, I hadn't read the Bible. I was in this just very brand new space. Early on, I started thinking about this and I thought, am I an attorney who's a Christian or am I a Christian who's an attorney? Mm because that was a really important question for me to decide early on, because I realized that how I think of myself, my identity, who I am, really informs my values. It informs how I do what I do. It informs what I do. It informs my mission. And that became a really pivotal question for me to resolve early on in this this journey. And through a lot of reading and talking to my pastor and talking to people so much more wise than I am, it really became well-settled within me that I'm a Christian first and foremost. And that informs everything I do and every space that I am. And so as a Christian who happens to be an attorney, who happens to be a mom, who happens to be an entrepreneur, fill in the blanks, that's my lead foot. Mm -hmm. And that really does inform every place that I am. And so I think that just uniquely resolving that issue and then learning how that looks in practical, basic ways in everyday life, wherever I am, is something that I haven't really heard many people talk about in the church. And so tell me a little bit, practically about what
0: it's just such an interesting dichotomy that you bring up you know the idea of is it my vocation first or is it my faith first um because the two can very much live in tandem with one another and the two can be married and I know you've got a lot of experience in that as well that I want you to talk about but um when we are living out of a place of okay this is my vocation. So it's my vocation first, and then my faith. What does that look like versus no, you know what? I'm a Christian first. And then out of the overflow of that, I live into my vocation. What do those two different worlds kind of look like practically?
1: I think that if we live primarily out of our vocation, I'm a lawyer, then that becomes my identity mm-hmm. and my choices, my decisions may not necessarily fully reflect the importance of my faith. And and to me, that like I said, that became a pivotal question because it was, what to what degree am I going to allow Jesus access into my life? Is it only on Sunday or only when I'm at church or only when I'm reading my Bible? Or is it going to be 24-7 comprehensive because he died for me, he gave his life for me, I live in this newness of life. And basically, his words were, follow me, right? It's an invitation to follow him. Uh, and pick up your cross daily and uh, and then go and tell other people. Well, that just sort of became, I think, really important to me. And what I realized is not optional. Mm. It's not optional. If we say we're a Christian, we have to be a Christian first and foremost. Our faith has to be the primary thing. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then. So to me, it's really clear. That if we're Christians, that has to inform everything we have to do. It has to be the lead foot. The Bible doesn't teach otherwise, neither does Jesus, so...
0: Yeah. And so then my my next question then becomes cuz it's really easy to to compartmentalize, right? Well, here's my my faith and then here's my work life and my personal life and my social life and near the two shall meet, right? So it's so easy to compartmentalize because the work of integrating our lives, the work of integrating my faith with my justice work, with my family, with my vocation and my career and all of these things, that integration can be really difficult, especially for those who are leading in a space that isn't a faith-based space. You know, I think so often it's easy to say, oh, well, that's easy for a pastor. That's easy for a ministry leader because your faith is at the center and it informs everything that you do. And and you're allowed to be vocal and to bring that into your workspace. Um, But for those who, and I love that the experience that you bring to the table is that the majority of your vocation and professional life is not in a necessarily faith-based space. And that's who a lot of our listeners are. It's not Faith leaders, people who are leading in the church or parachurch organizations, it's leaders of faith. It's uh, parents at home with their children. It's business owners. It's active duty military who are saying, you know what, this is what I do. And yet this is who I am. I love Jesus. I'm a child of God. And I'm trying to figure out how to integrate that. What does that look like? What are some, some things, some wisdom that you can share about that integration? Because it is so challenging.
1: It is absolutely challenging. And I will say my context as an attorney was in Washington, D.C., in in a large corporate legal department as the only Christian. And so you can't get into more shark infested waters than Washington, D.C. You know, it's such a frenetic high pace and, and very intense and especially in the corporate environment. And so it was daunting to be the only Christian in this large group of, of attorneys and paralegals and admins, and really throughout the corporation. And, and so with that, um, I began to uh, just discern and, and seek God saying, how do I do this? This was in the late 90s, um, early 2000s, and I started thinking, where do I go? And it was really before Google was a thing and before you know, a lot of the, you know the ease that we have now that we can just Google and look for a lot of resources. And so uh, I asked my pastor, Jim Balkum, what do I do? How do I proceed? He said, let's pray. Let's just pray about this. Because he had been very active as a pastor working with uh, different companies and different leaders for values-based leadership. Mm-hmm. And so he just suggested that he and I start praying together. And, and so we prayed and I prayed. And what I really learned that God was showing me is prayer is always the first starting place. And so I would get in early to the office and I would just start prayer walking in the office. I would get there early before anybody got there. And I just had some scriptures that I wrote down on a piece of paper and I would just start praying them over each office and in and, and, and each person's desk and just walk through this, this large space and praying every morning and just trusting that that would change things. And then I uh, did that for a long time. And then after a while, I felt like the Lord saying, okay, now um, just go ahead and just let people know you're praying for them. I'm super relational. And so people would always come into my office. We would start a meeting, and, but I would always want to know, how are you? And I would always ask them the question, how are things going at home? How's your life? You know, what are you struggling with? Because it's just really, I care about people. And so I was just naturally very involved in people's challenges and problems you know, in their life outside of the office. And so I started learning more and more about that. And so I just started having the courage and it was scary at first, but I finally said, you know, I'm praying for you. And they would freak out. No, 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 don't pray. Don't pray. I'm like, no, that's okay. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to know that I love you so much. I'm praying for you. And they would hurt and get out of my office. <laughs> and this continued for several months. And as, I, as things started changing and as, and as situations started changing for them, uh, people would come to me and say, you know, something's really different. This this has turned out really well. And I was like, that's awesome. I've been praying about that. And they were really curious about just prayer. And so one or two started asking me, so when you say you pray, what does that mean? And I said, well, you know, that's a really great question. And so I just kept it really simple. Of what prayer means is just, you know, I'm talking to God who is bigger and smarter and wiser who creates everything, and it's just like the power source. And I'm talking to him and just talking to him about my everyday life and you and your problems and just um, and just seeking, you know, greater wisdom. And, uh, and as I began just to share with them in really simple terms what prayer means, they it, it became less foreign and it became more accepting. And then you fast forward a few months, um, they would come to me and say, would you pray about something? Hmm. And these are people who were, no, nobody was going to church. Nobody was a self-identified Christian. And you fast forward a few months and they wanted to know more about different prayers or know more about church or know more about different things of my faith. And uh, one or two had been going to church and decided they wanted to go back to church. Wow. And it was really great. And one one person almost, you know, said, well, I want to go to church, I'm a Catholic, is that okay? And I said, it's great, that's wherever you're finding God, that's great, go, yay. And we started talking about eventually what the priest was sharing on Sundays, she would come in on Mondays and want to unpack that with me. More and more questions through people, and I realized that it was, I was answering a lot of the time answering questions, so I just started suggesting that we go out to the local pub around the corner, and uh, and it was like burger and beer night at the local pub on like one night a week. And so we just started hanging out at the local pub and more and more people would show up. And that's where they started asking their questions. And it wasn't rocket science and I didn't know all the answers, but I just figured I was just being real with people and and praying for them and God did the rest. I didn't have to figure it out.
0: Yeah, I love what a simple um, and practical model that is. Just love people just love people and be with people and be present and be available and just see where God shows up, see where he's at work. I think, oftentimes we really overthink it and are so quick to disqualify ourselves because you know, culturally we do really elevate the voice of, you know, the person who has the, the degree or the title or who's been to seminary or, or whatever else. But, you know, every single one of us has just been equipped to be in relationship with and love the people around us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And so that it's it's as simple as that, really.
1: It is. And what God started showing me was it extended extended beyond my workplace and to open my eyes to like every place that I am. And so, I mean, I'm not a theologian, but I call it my rule of foot. Mm -hmm. Wherever my feet are, that's where I'm supposed to be present and aware and loving people. And so if I'm at Walmart and I see people stocking shelves, I'm praying for them. And I want and now I'm going up to them. And thanking them for the work that they do. You know, the Bible says in Nehemiah, you know, bless the work of our hands. And so I, I would love to start a movement called Bless the Work of Their Hands. Because I just think that if we, in everyday ways, are looking and finding and seeking the people that are often overlooked. Um, they're the people stocking the shelves. They are the people sweeping the floors. They are the people cleaning the bathrooms. They are the people behind the counters or wherever we're going. If we can just be intentional to say, I want to thank you. Because of you, I'm able to eat food. Because of you, this is a safe place for me to go. It's clean, it's healthy. Because of you, fill in the blank. And I just want to thank you because your work has great value and great dignity. And I just thank God and ask him to bless the work of your hands. And I just think if every person would just be intentional wherever their feet are in doing that, my gosh, just think of, what a radical difference that can make.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I remember one time I was with uh, Joe Saxton at the IF gathering and Jill Briscoe was there and she was speaking and she said something um, that I think it, it rocked all of us. They actually ended up uh, turning it into a print and emailing it to everyone that had attended the IF gathering. But um, she said, your mission field is between your own two feet. And I loved that, just the idea that everywhere I am at any given point during the day, wherever my feet are planted, that's where I'm called in that moment. And that is the work. That is the harvest field. That is the good, important thing that we're called to. Um, And I think it's really easy to overlook that when our vocation and our place of employment isn't within the walls of the church, you know, the established church as we have defined it. Or even, you know, for, for those of us who are stay-at-home parents who feel like, okay, well, how am I supposed to live out my faith and be a disciple of Christ? Well, wherever your feet are planted, that is your mission field. And that is the place that you are called to be love and light.
1: Absolutely. And I think about, you know, for students, that's, their work is the school. That's mm-hmm. their mission field. And just think of, you know, every student. Could really you know embrace that and be very intentional about that, um, whether you're in, in elementary school, college, high school, whatever. Um, I even think about you know the, the older people of the the entrepreneurment, you know that are have this this wealth of experience. You know if they're volunteering or wherever they're finding themselves in their spaces and places, and they can be just super intentional about seeing the value and the dignity in each person reaching out to them and, and and expressing that value and dignity and blessing the work of their hands. Oh my gosh, it would be great. And what a perspective shift
0: that is to go from the place of thinking, okay, loving Jesus is what I do when I'm not doing anything else to loving Jesus is literally my entire life. And I happened to love Jesus while I was a student on campus. And then I loved Jesus when I was an employee at this company. And now I'm loving Jesus as I've retired from that vocation and I'm volunteer, you know, just loving Jesus has been the center focus of my entire life and everything else was just stuff that I happened to do
1: along the way. Exactly. To me, that's the right way to flip the script. Yeah, that's awesome. And
0: so with that in mind, some of the work that you're doing right now is very much uh, working with people who are leading and serving in spaces that aren't faith-based, but to integrate their faith and their work. So talk a little bit about that kind of entrepreneurial
1: venture that you're on. Well, I actually have a couple of entrepreneurial ventures. Um, I'm not sure which one particular you're referring to, but the one that comes to mind is um, I'm combining my estate planning practice as an attorney because I'm still, I'm licensed, uh, still in Virginia. And so um, I'm still, uh, I focus on estate planning and corporate work. But I'm combining that with this passion that I have to see people really live the most vibrant, full life that they can right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really believe the Lord, there again, gave this to me a couple of years ago. Uh, And so I've started a new venture called Living Your Legacy. You know, often we think of legacy as the thing that we leave at the end of our lives. But what if we were to identify, discover, and start living into that legacy story now? being intentional with where we are now and letting that really bless people, motivate people, inspire people now. And then what if then we could incorporate that as part of our legacy into our estate planning documents? Because I really think that, you know, uh, wills, estates, trust, all of that, it has to be more than just who gets what Mm -hmm. at the end of a life. I'm sorry, but if it's reduced to that, uh, that, that makes me very sad. And so I would rather enhance my legal estate practice and enhance it to more of a legacy story, to make it the holistic, you know, you talked about holistic, you know, we should lead lives of integration, that we are not compartmentalized people. I would rather help people along a pathway and a journey of discovering their legacy story now at whatever age they are and what's important to them. And then how can they be intentional for all of their decisions to reflect that legacy story such that, you know, think of the impact that they can make being intentional and grounded and rooted in that. And then what that could look like and how that can bless so many people now and for future generations. That excites me.
0: It does. It excites me too. I love the idea of that. And so can you, if if you don't mind, can you kind of walk us through a little bit of what, if you were working with someone in this capacity, what would that look like for someone who's listening, who says, gosh, I'm really drawn to that idea. Where do I start? You know, I even think about myself personally. I mean, I'm in my mid thirties. I've got young kids. I'm doing a few different things. I've got a little business. I'm doing some writing. And I, you know, I think about the fact that, okay, one day eventually there will be a legacy, but to actually be intentional with building that now, what, what are some of the, uh, practical steps or practices that you might walk through with someone to really get them thinking that way.
1: Well, um, I have sort of a a long list, but I would just keep it probably to the top three things uh, for our purposes now. Mm -hmm. But I think first and foremost is what are those things that are most important? What are those values that are most important to you? Um, Are are your values that um, you want to be generous? Are your values that you want to be kind? Um, that you want to make a lot of money, that you want to, you know, what are those things that are really important to you? Those qualities, those values. Do you love to travel? Do you love to cook? Do you love to um, be with people? Do you love to teach? You know, just think about those things, those passions, those values that you just really are excited about. And and I have a long list of, of, you know, like a page of values that people can circle. And then we sort of narrow that down to come up with like sort of your, top five words that really just emulate what you care most about deeply. Mm -hmm. And then from that, then also think about those family stories that you've heard over and over and over, or you've told over and over again. They could be uh, memories from a holiday or a birthday or from a family vacation, Um, those memories that just make you laugh, or maybe that make you cry. But what are some of those those top three stories that when you think about your life that just really sort of capture the essence of of what is so special and meaningful? And you'll see some common threads from that first uh, exercise of just sort of your top five words that capture your heart, that capture you, and then the stories that are meaningful to you. You start seeing some threads, some connectors. And from that, then it becomes, so what does this look like? If you were to kind of combine those two and you identify some of these common threads and themes, how would you write a new story? How would you say from this day forward, I want to do this, this, and this? Just three things. I want to live a life of generosity because... That's something that's really important. That was something that my family was really generous. I saw in my own family a spirit of generosity that they just really wanted to help people and bless people. Our table was always open. Our door was always open for people to come in and eat. Um, We never welcomed a stranger. They were always family. And so one of my personal core values is just living a life of generosity in word and deed. And so what does that look like? For me, just to put that on a poster to be to kind of put that in writing and say, this is something that I'm going to be really intentional um, in just my actions and my words, how I treat people and what I do. And so you start seeing those common threads. And then if you just identify those top kind of three to five words and really start being intentional of how to live those out, of how to be practical in everyday ways and be intentional in everyday ways of living those out, you really start seeing a difference, not only in your life, but you start seeing a difference in the life of your family, the life of your oikos, your community, the world around you. That's
0: good. And so, so two thoughts that I have as I'm listening to you. One is I, f- I feel like for some of us, As we're walking through this process and walking through this, these steps, there's a tendency to try to think of, okay, when you say, okay, so what does that mean? What does that look like for you on an everyday basis? Um, And just speaking for myself and the places that I've been and knowing that there's others that it may resonate with, the tendency can be that I have to think of big things, right? Okay. So what, what does this mean? What does this look like? It's gotta be big the bigger, the better, right? Because that's when it's meaningful and that's when it's valuable. And I think often we overlook the the small everyday things um, that are the living of our legacy that are hugely valuable. And so talk, talk a little bit about this kind of cultural thing where everything's got to be big and splashy and important. And I, for those that are listening and not watching, I'm using air quotes when I say important and bigger and better kind of help, help break that down a little bit to the value of what we might
1: call small things. Yes, because you're right. If it's too big, we'll never do it, right? Because if it's too big, it seems so unattainable. Mm -hmm. And so to me, isn't it better just to sort of package things in a little bit more bite-sized chunks, day by day, things that are just very easily attainable? You know, much like yourself, I'm a goal-oriented person and I, I have a a list of things. And if I can check my list every day, oh my gosh, that is like the super, I get the gold star. Yeah. And so I would rather have things just one or two things each day in really simple bite-sized chunks that I can check off going, I did it today. I did it today. And if I do that every day, that's when it starts to become a habit. We know this, but yet yeah, it's always a good reminder takes, what, 30 days to, to, to create a habit. But if we just do something, one little thing, one simple change each day, and if we're just intentional, we're okay, I'll just use my example of generosity. If I just, every day on my to-do list, I just write the word generous or generosity. And then in each day, it becomes sort of a game to me how I can find a way to be generous in what I'm doing. It could be something as simple as sending an email to somebody Or a a message to somebody saying, I am thinking about you. I am praying for you. How can I pray for you today? A text. I love you. I miss you. I'm praying for you. Just hoping you have a great day. Something just really simple. Generosity doesn't have to be the big thing. In small and little ways, it makes such a huge difference. And so it really becomes a challenge and a fun challenge and a game to me every day to figure out a way that I can be generous. And like I said, it doesn't have to be anything big. Um, And it could be something like on the weekend, um, I'm making extra food, so I'll just make a little extra. And there's an elderly man who lives across the, the, his farm's across the road, and he's uh, um, a widow or so. So just go over and say, here, John, here you go. hope you're blessed. It doesn't have to be anything big. And I think that's a misnomer. You're right, that it has to be big. But I think the greater power is in doing something small and doing it consistently.
0: Yeah, because the legacy is really built, lived one day at a time. Yeah. And, and I think, too, at least for me, when I look back over my life, um, yeah, there have been big, splashy moments and big, impactful things, but the things that meant the most to me were what, what we would, and I, and I hate to use the word small, but just for the purposes of what we're talking about, they were the small things that are seemingly inconsequential that made the greatest impact. The random encounter with a random stranger in the parking lot of Walmart who came up to me and said, man, I just really felt compelled to come tell you that you were just loved and you're doing better than you think you are. You know, uh, the, the moments when people have brought over meals after I had a baby, you know, whatever it was, but just the, the tiny little daily impact that someone else has made by intentionally using their gift and their voice to pour into my life, those, because they were so personal and so intentional, I think those have made a greater impact on me than,
1: you know, lots of the the big things. Absolutely. And I know for me that when somebody just out of the blue sends me a text saying, I think about you, I love about you, I'm praying for you today. That means more than anything just that random text, that random note. It's
0: powerful. Yeah. And I love that idea of identifying the gifts and the passions and the values that we have. Cause there's a lot that I think it's really easy for us to cast off for us to say like, Oh, well, that's not really important. I can't really do anything with that. You know, I'm not really building something with that. When the reality, your love of cooking, that's, that's your mission field right there. Your, um, gift of hospitality uh, the, the conversation that you have with your neighbor that that is living a legacy that is living out the gospel one day at a time and that's doing it in the ways that matter most because ultimately that's that's what we're
1: here for. Absolutely and I think about you know a parent who may be staying home with your younger children and how cool that you can get like the kids involved with things like this. And make it like just a group activity and a group project. And what you're modeling, you're modeling your legacy at that moment. They may not have the language or the vocabulary for it, but yet what they are seeing is it being modeled and that will have a greater, far, you know, greater impact and imprinting on them. And that they will be living, starting to live their legacy story even at a young age, right? I don't think we're ever too young to live our legacy story.
0: Mm, That's good. And I think about how empowering this is because I, you know, I'm always in conversations like this, I'm always inclined to think about, okay, how does this really speak to and is this um, is this out of reach for anybody? And I think about, you know, those who who experience um, injustice or systemic oppression or poverty or, you know, all the different things that can really just make us feel powerless and, um, and helpless and out of control over our own lives. Um, but how doable this is and how much these little things do matter. Um, just the ability that we have and how empowering it is to say, you know what, in my little corner of the world, in the midst of difficulty, and maybe I don't have a ton of resources that I feel like I can share, but here's what God has given me, here's what he's gifted me with. And so I'm going to use this intentionally.
1: I believe it can start at at an early age and across all cultures, across, you know, all, you know, everything, because it's, it's something that, for instance, you know, each one of us can be kind, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, kindness can, and especially in today's culture, um, kindness, I think, could be revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And if we are kind to person we encounter you know and and so i just think that there's something really powerful in that and that's one of the the fruits of the spirit and if we can just really embody that embody you know that because that comes from the love of christ right and so if we can embody the fruits of the spirit and it doesn't cost anything um and and it's it can make such a powerful impact i just think that that can be a, a radical way to bless people
0: yeah absolutely and and the um I think it's empowering for all of us, but just the freedom that it gives us to be able to say, you know what, every day. And I think it's easy, especially in our culture, for us to kind of dismiss those things like, oh, yeah, okay, kindness, right? Yeah, this is the these are elementary ideas. And, and so we're focused on building the big thing and doing the big thing and building a brand and all of this other stuff. Um, But I think we do we overlook a lot of the what we might call elementary things. Um, and not only do we overlook them, but we've forgotten about them. We've forgotten about the power of the, the simple things, which is really what we see in the life of Jesus.
1: Yeah. 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 It's not complicated. It is, it's simple, but it's not always easy to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially in the busyness of our
0: lives as we make it, when we are, you know, focused on all the things that need to be done and the things that we're building and, you know, the entrepreneurial dreams and visions and ideas that we have. Uh, there's a lot that can distract us. I think from some of these simple things that can be incredibly
1: difficult and challenging. Absolutely. And when I say it, this is not about adding one more thing to your to-do list, mm-hmm. not one more thing in your plate. It's being intentional with the time that you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about um, being intentional with the time that you have and how, what have you learned about rhythming your life? That's not a word. I think I just made up a word. Rhythming your I think life. you did. That's cool. I like it. Let's cool. go. With okay. It. okay. So I'm going to brand it. Um, That's my word now, but talk a little bit about this idea of, okay, we're not adding one more thing to the to-do list, just being intentional, you know, with our time, because so many of us are super busy, super overwhelmed, super distracted, trying to figure out, okay, how do I balance all of this? And John and I were talking earlier, and of course, you know, he reminded me that we don't talk about balance. We talk about rhythms. And so just talk a little bit about that idea of rhythming your life and how that really, Allows you and enables you to actually live beyond what you might have been able to before.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, it's interesting because I have um, taught about rhythming, to use your word. Uh, I have taught about you know, across the world, um, from uh, third world countries to to uh, Western culture. I mean, it, this has been a concept, and and what I notice is across the board is that people are living incredibly busy lives, but the question that challenged them with is are you living, you know, but is your life fruitful? Is it bearing fruit? And and is this about bearing fruit or about success?
0: Mm.
1: You know, sort of a threshold question that I was forced to ask myself years ago. And uh, and what it really came down to me is, and I, I do believe this, and this is something that that John and I have learned um, in, in, in the teachings and the readings that we've uh, done through uh, a lot of the 3D material is, um, are we working out of, our rest. And when I, that really became an issue, uh, a conviction of, for me, because what I realized is that I wasn't resting until my work was done. Mm. And honestly, that is not scriptural. That's disobedience. And when I realized that that was disobedience, I became really convicted about that. It was one of those kind of gulp, oh my goodness, I've got to co- repent of this, because this was a serious conviction point, and uh, and I know that that's not uh, culturally, and I know that that's not a culturally accepted answer to say that it's it's disobedience, and that I know probably people would really be upset with me if I say that. But I'm just saying my own personal conviction was that when I realized the importance of Sabbath, and and why God said Sabbath is so important and how important it is to maintain and keep that and build that into my life and let that be the space from which then I work, the space from which I create. Mm -hmm. And once I made that shift and sticking to that, and it's not easy because so much of life pulls at you. And there's so many things that are always pulling. Um, But once I made that shift and I'm purposed that rhythm, I started producing uh, a, I think, you know, a much better work product. I started uh, leading from a healthier place because the question, I think it comes down is, do we lead lives worth imitating? Mm. Am I living a life in all aspects of my life that's worth imitating? And in that work and rest rhythm, I wasn't. How could I, with all integrity, mentor younger people and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But yet, I'm working 18 hours a day. I'm not taking Sabbath. I'm continuing to work. I don't shut my computer down till 11 o'clock at night. How you know? What's how does that you know, model? And what legacy am I leaving
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that regard? And wow. that's when I'm personally convicted that I was being disobedient. Yeah. And and it. Maybe it took God to, to, to use that language with me to get my attention and bring me to a place of repentance. And so from that point on, I've been very intentional to really uh, flourish in that area, to try to thrive in that area and to help other people to seek uh, breakthrough in that area. It's not easy. No, because it's super counterintuitive and countercultural. Oh, incredibly countercultural. But as Christians, we're supposed to be leading lives that are countercultural.
0: Mm-hmm. Because if
1: we just look like everybody else, that's the point. Yeah. Why do we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to make these changes that create breakthrough? I mean,
0: that's
1: there yeah. really for me.
0: I think something along those lines that you mentioned, you, uh, you differentiated between success and bearing fruit. And I think, you know, culturally, the focus is often on success, whereas in the life of Jesus, what we see modeled is bearing fruit. So can you kind of help us understand the difference between those two things, between success and
1: fruitfulness? Sure. Because if we think about success, um, oftentimes with success, the ends justify the means, right? So whatever it takes to get there, I'm going to get there, whatever it takes. And sometimes success can can uh, cause us to compromise our values, yeah. um, compromise our, our integrity, our character, um, make decisions that are really are not pleasing to what we know Christ is calling us to do and be. And sometimes that, that uh, temptation of success, that ambition, will drive us into spaces and places that really do, um, and they don't bear fruit, ultimately. It may be temporary, you know, in of this world, it may look really great. But will it have long-lasting eternal value? Will it really? Is it empowered by the Holy Spirit that it bears fruit and that makes an eternal value? Eternal that's what, for me, it comes down to that.
0: Yeah, that's good. So <clears throat> I feel like you've you've kind of already answered this, but maybe just to, to reiterate and put a bow on things. As I'm thinking about uh, the many people who listen who are not... Um, in ministry vocationally, right? They've got their mission field between their own two feet and who are really feeling encouraged and inspired and empowered by what you're saying and wanting to, to kind of integrate their lives and to operate in ways that may be countercultural, but that ultimately do bear fruit. If you could leave them with one piece of um, encouragement or, or wisdom, or hey, here's a great first step um, what, what would you say? How would you, what kind of final word or thought would you leave with those who say, you know what, I want to start living my legacy. I want to live an integrated life. I want to live out of a place of faith and identity first. I'm ready to wake up tomorrow and start this journey. What, what final thought would you leave?
1: Ooh, Uh, I would think, I guess my final thought would be that we're always going to have a lot of things pulling on us. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of things that are going to be distracting and getting our attention from being really intentional of being where our feet are now, uh, being intentional about being kind right now, being intentional about where our legacy is. We're going to have a lot of things that are always going to distract us. Oswald Chambers said the good is the enemy of the best. We'll have a lot of things that might be seemingly good options and good things. But I think, you know conclusion, if we are first and foremost, circling back to what we started with, if we are first and foremost really seeking prayerfully, what is God's best for us? What is his absolute best for how, how he's uniquely created us, wired us, gifted us? If we are truly going to, just in prayer, if we seek his best and say, God, what is the best that you want from me? How can I be the best in this day? In which you have given me and I think if we start with that we'll see with greater clarity how we can be intentional each day living the best for him and from that the rest will flow Good. That you've given us so much to think
0: about. Um, and also just so much practical experience. And so there's just such a wealth of wisdom that you bring and And I really, I really appreciate it. And, um, I just thank you for being willing to share so vulnerably, vulnerably, and just for living the life that you've lived, you know, to be someone who can talk about all these different hats and how you have integrated all of that through your faith. It's, um, it's super encouraging. And so just on behalf of everybody listening, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to share all of that.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's my privilege and my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.